Mackling McGarry McNabb. Before I forget to do this, we do have a couple of cancellations to pass along here. All schools closed. No buses running in Prairie Spirit School Division. All schools are closed in the Prairie Rose School Division. And all schools closed in the Hanover School Division. So there's your Friday morning start. We say hello once again to Mr. Greg Mackling. Hi there. Hello, Brett McGarry. Welcome back. Nice to be back in the chair. Good to see you. And Loren McNabb, have you hit the road this morning? I am on the road. I just made it to the edge of the city on the south side. I'm south side Winnipeg right now. And uh, it's not the best drive in the world, but if you take it easy, it's manageable. It's icy, snow covered on 59. There was one section where I saw a couple cars in the ditch. Another part of 311 where two cars came to a complete stop on the road with their hazards on. What's the rule, guys, when you're in trouble, do you think? Like if you feel like you can't keep going. What's the rule there? Sorry, Loren, just couldn't just cut out a little bit at the end. Well, what's so I came. This has happened to me a couple times in my commute this week, where cars clearly felt, motorists clearly felt they couldn't keep going. Right. But they shouldn't keep going, and maybe they perhaps got hung up on some snow because some sections it was several inches thick uh, near three eleven and fifty nine, but they're at a complete stop on the road, and mm. so I, maybe they can't move off the side safely. But it always leaves me wondering what to do, what I'm supposed to do. I can't stop and get out in the middle of the road and provide help in the vehicle I'm in. So I just, I, I'm actually genuinely curious what's the rule of thumb in that moment for the driver's assembly kind. I guess that point where they think, I need to stop. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know what, what, the, what the answer is there. So, uh, in particular, if they're stopped in, the, in a lane of traffic, right? It, it yes. poses a huge issue. And obviously, it would be ideal if they could get off of that lane of traffic. But, I I don't know. It's not like uh, on the on the waterways where if somebody's stranded, you're obligated, sort of by law, by marine law, to to stop and help them. I, I don't think the same rules apply on the highway. No, I was worried in that moment where to stop too because I'm in a smaller vehicle. So if I come to a stop in a, a thicker snow situation, I might be stopped for good. Right, <laughs> right. Not, That's a good not, point. Not to mention getting out. In that moment, I can't pull to the side because the side's snow covered, which is maybe what they were feeling. But then I'm stuck on the side, and now you're out, you know, creating a bigger situation. So I, I have to say, there was that's happened to me a couple times already this winter, where I thought, well, what am I supposed to do here, just for my own safety? But how am I supposed to help someone else? And so I have, I stopped just the other day to ask a guy in the dish if he was okay, and he had a phone and said he was fine. And then this morning, I thought, if I stop now, I think I'm creating a bigger problem for everyone. So I just. That's been my confusing drive in this morning, and, and maybe it isn't just a day to stay home. While I've been talking to you guys, I just got the alert that my kids have no buses running this morning, so they've got their first snow day of the school year. What school division is that? That would be Seine River School Division. The alert just came across my phone. Okay. No so, buses running. And I see we just gotten the word um, from Red River Valley School Division. All schools there are closed. Staff to work from home. And Prairie Sky Ch- Child Care Center and Eli Mini Fran uh, are closed as well. So, you already had Hanover, Brett? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be one of those days. Yeah. Good times, good times. But how much? What's the blowing snow situation out your way, Loren? Uh, it's well, sorry. I was checking the school cancellations before I get all these kids excited. I want to make sure I read that right in Saint River Division. It's starting to blow uh, definitely a lot more because we also have light no snow falling. I don't know about in downtown Winnipeg, but the snow's really picked up south of Winnipeg just now. It's not coming down heavy, but it's light. It's lighter now than it was earlier this week. It feels like, and so it's blowing more easily and the winds are different definitely higher 
on this drive-in than they have been uh, most days this week. That was the first thing I noticed this morning when I came out yeah. was that the wind was completely different. Not really a bunch of snow and the main routes in particular, you know, for me, Chief Pegwis Trail, Henderson Highway, Main Street, Portage Avenue were still pretty good in terms of snow cover. They were pretty much uh, still wet and sloppy because that temperature is still lingering uh, around minus one, minus two at 3.30 this morning. Uh, but now it's down to minus five as we're expecting that temperature to drop through the day. And Reese texting us at 204-780-6868 saying to be careful on intersections on the highway. They are packed with snow and Reese had to put his uh, four by four on. Uh, so watch out for that. And if, there, if you're seeing anything or experiencing anything out there that we should know about, 204-780-6868. Also on the subject of driving, we'll get into this more at 645 and tell you how you can win yourself some tickets to see Shania Twain. But it was a, a landmark moment in Macklingville. Yes, on um, Monday, I guess it was. Maybe it was Tuesday. The days all run together now, Brett. Uh, But the boys, my boys, uh, their first time behind the wheel, at least to my knowledge, and based on how they did, I would say quite officially they had not been behind the wheel of any other vehicles, at least operating the gas pedal and the brake. It was a little bit herky-jerky to start and to uh, get going and to, you know, complete the first stops. But yeah, my boys uh, got their beginners and now they are beginning their their um, road Road education, when they go for driver's ed and they're in the car, in-car instruction, that's the word I'm looking for. I never had driver's ed. What? No, no. My dad and my mom and my grandpa all taught me how to drive. I didn't do driver's ed. So uh, I was, you would have been proud of me, Brett. I was very patient with them. My voice was on the very low end of the scale. Loren, there was no yelling. It was all very controlled. And uh, yeah, so uh, no relationships fractured at this point, but it was interesting. So far. Yeah, that's the key word. So far. You know what you need to do is teach them stick. That'll really get everyone going. How to drive standard. Well, we only have one vehicle in the family that is uh, standard, and it's uh, been sleeping for about a decade and a half, so I might have to take the tarp off the MG and teach them stick. Well, wouldn't you have to retrieve it from the shipping crate you have it stored in? It's just in my Baba's garage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I never learned to drive standard, and I, that's a skill that I wish I had learned. Um, I don't know why. I, I, like real, maybe it's just because I watch the Amazing Race, and whenever the the, the, the contestants have to drive st- stick, half of them are stumped. They're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I don't know how to do this." Do you know how to drive uh, standard, Loren? Oh yeah, like lots of the vehicles on the farm were standard, and I remember I remember my dad teaching me in one of our old Chevy trucks, and that did not go as well. I believe I came to a stop at one point in Minnesota, and there had been a lot of like, you know, back and forth, and I. I got out of the truck and said, you drive. And then I think I started walking. So that's the exchange of driver's ed in our family. I actually took driver's ed, though, and I, uh, I'm i the only one in my family that did out of the four kids, and I'm the only one that failed my first license again. So <laughs> oh, that's not a very strong endorsement of the program, is it? I don't know if that's a strong endorsement, no. But <laughs> it was embarrassing. I don't know why I'm laughing. I haven't heard this song in years. Is this the Proclaimers? I'm on my way. I probably, I won't sing anymore. Sorry. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, where, where are you now, Loren? I've just uh, finished the south perimeter, just from 59 over past St. Mary's, and I'm making my way into the downtown. And, yeah, no shock to say that the perimeter is slippery. There was a couple times, you know, maybe going 70, 80, even just slight taps of the brakes would have you moving. And I watched a guy in front of me skid all over the highway. So you're just going to want to be really careful. And with that list of cancellations you just mentioned, Brett, you might be thinking, okay, it's not coming down really hard. It's not blowing really hard, but south of Winnipeg, a reminder as I made my drive in this morning, you really got a lot of snow covered sections still. And I'm not talking just you know, packed snow. In some sections of 59, it was halfway up the tire uh, on the left lane. And so it's thick snow still until those clouds get out. And it's slippery. It's slippery everywhere. And I don't suspect that these temperatures will get much better. Yeah, and if you are hitting the road this morning, wondering if your route is snow-covered, like I got a text message from my from my barber asking, hey, Brett, do you know what's up with the north perimeter this morning? I said, I don't know. I haven't heard anything specific, but I looked at the map and it says partly covered. But you might want to check it out because it, it's the new and the province hopes, Loren, improved Manitoba Highways map. Yeah, so 511, right? You might have that on your phone as an app or you might go online and just Google 511 and just see what the conditions are. You're going to notice right away a big change. It's uh, fresher looking, it's more modern, and it's easier to access in theory. I'm not one who's given a lot of compliments to 511 over the past few years because I drive in regularly and it hasn't been easy. Some days I look at 79 and 59 and 75 and 59 and I'm trying to decide which north route I'm going to take in and I, I make decisions based on that map and I haven't found it always to be accurate but this time around they've got some new options for you. Derek Trainer is the operations manager with 511 and says it starts with actually it'll give you updates of your route every morning if you create an account. Let's say they're driving in from Portage La Prairie every day into the city of Winnipeg or vice versa. Um, they could program that route in and then when there's something like a closure or or um, or an accident, then they would receive notifications through their device, through either an email notification or, a, or an SMS text message to notify them of, uh, of a condition that might affect their drive. And, you know, with, with Manitoba Highways admittedly operating at less than optimal capacity in regards to their ability to clear snow on those highways, they're not operating 24-7. They would like to be, but they aren't. I think that makes this app that much more important and that the information is up to date up to the minute makes it even that much more important based on that fact and one of the key features of the 511 app is the cameras in theory you're supposed to be able to click and see firsthand conditions on several major highways trainer admits that's only as good as the camera technology uh, well we have upwards of 30 cameras some unfortunately due to weather and some Malfunctioning parts uh, do require repairs to uh, to function again. Um, but right now, uh, users, if they look on the 511 site, will see kind of our fleet of, of currently functioning cameras. Um, obviously, uh, cloudy weather doesn't help us with some of our uh, solar sites. But, um, yeah, but we definitely try to keep those up to date or re- replace parts to keep them uh, functioning when they do go down. Now, reporting to 511 still works the same. You can call it in, but Derek Trainer, 511 operations manager, says staff are also able to update conditions from the road. Yeah, so they would either call into our 511 operations center and provide, provide an update, or some staff are also equipped with the ability to do that from their own mobile device and program an update. And then that site, or then that information is automatically updated to the 511 site with its timestamp.
Now, I have to wonder, guys, if we'll ever truly be satisfied because, you know, on my drive-in, when I check both routes to decide, snow-covered might mean different things to different people. Does that mean just a layer of snow? Does it mean it looks like a plow hasn't come through at all? Does it look like cars were making the path? Like, what does that appear like? So those cameras become important to me. And then having it staffed 24 hours a day, you mentioned that 24-7 thing. Greg, well, when we had the, the infrastructure minister on a couple months ago, he said it, that the 511 service is staffed 24-7. And so in theory, you should be able to get constant updates in. But with so many highways and so many changing conditions, is it just one person keeping that information going? Is it all of us filing the information in? Is it the staff on the road? You know, I have questions about that because there have been times where I've hit the road and thought, there's no way this should be open. And then I'll pull over and I'll check and I'm like, no, it still says open. And then 20 minutes later, it's closed. And, you know, it's it, that's how rapidly it can change. Well, last winter, we heard from a lot of people upset with how often the perimeter highway in particular, wasn't it a dozen times that it was closed? And and so some people, like you say, Loren, have a different interpretation of the different language, what that means to them, what that means to their comfort level in terms of being on the highway, just because it's not closed for some people, uh, snow covered and slippery sections mean, no, I'm uh, definitely not driving or reduced visibility, different thresholds for different people. But like I said uh, earlier, I think that's why it's more critical than ever that this information be up to date and as much information as possible because people are sort of be, being left to their own devices in terms of making the decision for themselves as to whether or not the driving conditions are something that they can handle in particular when they're not clearing these highways 24-7, Brett. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb's going to sit this one out. She's heading into the office. She we hit the road this morning to check out conditions, and she is going to... Hopefully be in the office by 7.05. We'll see. Tyson Ricky and for producer Jeff Fortier, Mackling back after a day off. And Greg, you are inspiring today's topic for the Shania Twain tickets that we have to give away. And uh, something big happened with your family this week. Yeah, big changes in our household. Our boys are embarking on their endeavor to learn how to drive their first ever experiences behind the wheel. The other day in parking lots, I want to assure everyone that they're safe, at least for now. Uh, the boys are a little bit little bit nervous, and I tell you, they very quickly understood the power of the, the accelerator. And how touchy the accelerator can be and how touchy the brake is. And the whole idea of when you look to do the shoulder check that your your hands naturally want to follow your head and your eyes. And, and then that you start to move left or right depending on which shoulder you're looking at over. So channeling my, <laughs> my younger person and I'm trying to deal with them the way that I would have preferred to have been dealt with. My dad was really good. My stepdad was pretty good, but my uh, grandpa was not very patient when it came to uh, teaching on the stick. And uh, Kat and Gimli, uh, who earned her driver's license in Great Britain, said everybody had to learn on a manual transmission. Otherwise, uh, you uh, you couldn't drive. Like if you got your license on an automatic, that's all you could drive. You weren't allowed to drive a, a manual transmission. Now, obviously, that's a long time ago, but it sounds like Kat and I learned to drive on the same type of standard transmission. I learned on a... GMC pickup, 1965, with the three on the tree, the manual transmission where the shift changer was 
on the driver's column, which is a little bit different. Usually it's four on the floor or five on the floor. Three on the tree was the way I learned. And uh, I agree with you, Kat. Once you learn how that's all supposed to sound, how it's all supposed to work, you never forget. Yeah. And do you you prefer? I do. I do. In fact, on both our vehicles, you can go sort of into a pseudo standard transmission mode where you can shift gears up shift down shift especially driving through the mountains and stuff it's a lot of fun so. ah, okay yeah i guess i would also be uh keep you on your toes as well so let's go around the horn here cameron portress um you know what i'm not going to refer to a certain television show you may have been a part of uh, but <laughs> i am curious to know what was uh, like you, either your first driving experience or something from your early days driving well i blacked it out as a memory <laughs> See, like, um, Greg's just talking about um, about his grandpa not being very patient. Well, I I, I had some <laughs> I just remember that when I was learning to drive with my mom, there was a lot of yelling involved. And uh, it was not a great and fun experience. Uh, I also um, will try and... and <laughs> <laughs> if I'm ever lucky enough to teach my kids how to drive, I'll try to be a lot more patient. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm sure that now I'm not going to put all the blame on my mom. I'm pretty sure I was probably a mouthy teenager too at the time as well. So I'm I'm certainly capable of of a lot of blame here. But me and my mom, oh, we we had at least three real big blowups when I was learning how to drive a car. At least three. Um, and she was teaching because I have a twin brother, so we were both learning to drive at the exact same time, just like Greg uh, is going through. And, and Brad, I'm sure you, with your twin sister too, as well, was going through this, which is crazy. Uh, but it was it was it was a wild experience. I would never ever want to do it again. But it was it was a it was a fight. It was a fight to the bitter end. But uh, <laughs> uh, I got my license, so I guess my mom won. Did you go through driver's ed, or was it was all your? Oh yeah, I went through driver's ed and all that stuff too. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Tyson, you're old enough to drive, right? <laughs> just barely. Just barely. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. How old that's are you? That's the question of the day. I'm, I'm 23. Okay. 23. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just jealous, that's all. Envious of your youth. But, uh, yeah, what's your experience? I had a pretty good experience. Like, my dad was pretty relaxed teaching me, but, man, I had some bad. Like, my sec, I failed twice before passing a... But my second time, I had to take it in Beaujolais, and it was after a really bad snowstorm. And I got probably, like four minutes into the drive and she told me hey, take it right here and I just fishtailed in the middle of the road and I looked right at her and I was like yeah I should probably just turn around hey and she's like yeah probably best and so after that though got it on the third try smoked the curb on the third try and the guy was like you know what you did pretty good besides that curb you hit so here you go and I was like oh, oh thanks. wow <laughs> really yeah I was I, I hit it like right I was I was at a light and I was just turning right at the light and I just kind of it was just a little kiss. It wasn't anything too bad. So he, he knew what he was doing, too. Okay. Yeah, it'd be one thing if you, like, flat out he smoked the curb, but to just hug the curb. I mean, you see people do that all the time. Except exactly. for that mangled aluminum rim. You did really well. <laughs> <laughs> the car is no longer except roadworthy. For that, except for that property damage. You were not, it wasn't, it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I think my earliest driving experience sort of predates actual like learning to drive this is when i was just a little kid and we were at my uh, mom's cousin's glenn's place may he rest in peace but um he had a the, he had a property outside of the city with a just this huge field for a backyard and he had this old beater hatchback i'm pretty sure it was a honda civic and it was a standard and it was just a, an old rust bucket and uh, he's like hey you want to drive it 
<laughs> so I said, okay. I was like nine, maybe ten, I don't know. And we just went out for a rip in this backyard. And I, to this day, I can't remember how we accomplished this because I don't think I was tall enough to reach the pedals. And it was standard. So I think he was on the floor, like manipulating the pedals and oh doing the shifting. Goodness. And I was just basically steering it. And I, and I steered us into a tree. So how <laughs> he didn't die on the floor of that automobile, because uh, I, I mean, I didn't like crash hard, but still, uh, he never let me drive it again. Though. I'll make, make you feel a little bit better, Brett. Back in the 80s, I used to get all the Guinness Book of World Records for Christmas. Don't ask me why I needed the same book basically over and over for an entire decade. But the loneliest tree in the world is uh, somewhere in North Africa. Yeah. And uh, someone in the U.S. military managed to hit that tree <laughs> once upon a time. So don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, that's like when you're backing up in a parking lot, oh. in, an, in an empty parking lot, sure. and then you almost smoke the, you know, like, the, whatever, the metal pole or oh, something yeah. behind you because you think, oh, I got all kinds of room. But you, <laughs> no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So tell us a story about your early driving experiences for a chance to win tickets to see Shania Twain. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. It is... Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb now in the building. You made it in. How was the drive overall, Loren? I've had worse. Is that a rating we can make it? Not bad. Yeah. Not good. I've had worse. Uh, I just It's just that the challenge right now is that it keeps changing, and it is slippery in every road that I was on this morning, some more than others, some very skating rink-like, and so you're just going to want to be really careful Check that 511 app if you want. It's new and improved, apparently. Let us know if you like what you're seeing on it and if it reflects the conditions on your roads. But, yeah, it's uh, just a just another another day that you're going to have to figure it out, Brett. And before we talk about something important happening this weekend involving dogs, we're asking you at 204-780-6868 about your early driving experiences for a chance to win Shania Twain tickets. And this from a first-time texter, Greg. I got my license at 16 driving my dad's new Chevy Impala. I was so excited that I passed my license. I drove over to see my boyfriend, now my husband. My boyfriend worked at his family's bike shop on a busy part of Marion Street. Although I just parallel parked to pass my license, couldn't do it on Marion. So I stopped the car in the middle of the street, put it in park, and ran into the bike shop to get my boyfriend to parallel park it. I can just imagine how upset the cars were behind me. What was I thinking? Tell us a story for a chance to win those Shania Twain tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. If you see... A truckload of dogs on the road on Monday, and we do mean truckload. Don't be surprised. So this is all part of a project involving a Manitoba organization and about, from what we understand, 175 dogs. So they're rescue dogs now in need of homes. And in the past, the group known as Canine Advocates, they might have used planes or different methods to get the animals to their forever homes, wherever that might be across this country. But from what we understand, with costs on the rise for air travel and other they decided to use a truck so this monday this truck is heading east in a project dubbed mission is possible and you know i love that one brett so for more now we're joined by chelsea cork of canine advocates good morning chelsea hi there so let's just talk about first where did these all these dogs come from um so we bring in our dogs from uh, usually northern manitoba some are flying communities um some are pretty isolated um, rural communities and First Nations communities. 
So Chelsea, uh, where are these dogs? Uh, you know, where are they going on Monday? This sounds like a very long drive. Yeah, this is like the biggest project we've ever taken on. Um, they're actually going to Newfoundland uh, to a rescue called Rescue Newfoundland. And uh, we've never done anything of this scale before, that's for sure. So you're going in a truck. How are the dogs going to be kept warm or kept fed? Yeah, so uh, we've got it all planned out. We've got stops every eight hours along the way where we've got about up to about 70 volunteers meeting us, everything from fire departments to SPCAs. And um, so the dogs, every eight hours, they get out um, to get walked and watered and fed and stretch their legs, and uh, and then they proceed to the next stop. We figure each stop is going to take around three hours, and that's just kind of an estimate. So I can't get Moose back in the car after a five-minute stop, Chelsea, so good luck <laughs> with 175 dogs. But why Newfoundland? Why, why are we going uh, east, and what's the story there? Yeah, so Manitoba just has an overpopulation of dogs and not enough people to adopt them all. So we send all of our dogs out of province. Um, Most of the time we do BC, Alberta and Ontario. This is the first time um, we've done the transport to Newfoundland. We did do a charter plane to Newfoundland last year. They just don't have the same dog overpopulation as we do. So it's kind of supply and demand. So we send dogs out there for adoption. Chelsea, I'm a dog lover. Everybody in this room, I think, is a dog lover. And, and you know, so many uh, listeners will, will attest to what dogs bring to our lives. Are, are there people that are just discovering the world of dogs? And, and how is it that you're, you're managing to find more forever, F-U-R, ever homes uh, for these, these uh, adorable animals? I, th- I think that more and more people are realizing how many dogs in Canada need to be rescued. And so that's really good for us. Um, there's no need to buy dogs anymore. There's more than enough dogs that you could get from the Humane Society or rescues or Winnipeg Animal Services. Um, there's so many dogs in need of homes. And I think dogs just kind of complete a home. It feels empty if you go home and you don't have a dog to greet you, you know? So I think um, I think it's... It's it's good that we've got all these places and homes for for these poor Manitoba dogs. Now, if you work with a lot of people who will foster dogs before they find their their forever homes. So, if somebody wants to do that, how do they do that with you? Yeah, they can contact us usually on Facebook or email. Um, Canine Advocates Manitoba. Our fosters are what keep us going. We wouldn't be able to do this without our fosters. So the dogs come in and they don't usually know a home life. And our fosters kind of, you know, give them that home, that love, that experience of what it's like to be a domesticated pet indoors. And they prep them for their forever home. They're kind of their stepping stone to their new life is what we would say. Well, we're going to have to get you to join us Monday. Are you hitting the road with these dogs? I'm not. It's actually truckers in like a heated, ventilated truck. And um, I mean, they're professionals, so they know what they're doing in terms of the driving. And then along the way, we've got all the stops where the dogs will be taken care of. I, I kind of wish I was going. It's, it's such an adventure, but um, I'm, I'm not, unfortunately. Well, Chelsea Cork, thank you very much for joining us. This sounds like it's going to be an amazing adventure, so we appreciate the uh, the time, and we'll look, we look forward to the update next week. Thank you so much. Chelsea Cork with Canine Advocates. Once again, the project dubbed Mission is Possible, <laughs> spelled P-A-W. See, because dogs have 
pause. pause. Right. And then possible would be for the other possible, but this is possible. Does everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm not clear. <laughs> I feel like we need to cue the music to the little little as hobo right now <laughs> as they head east. Maybe tomorrow they'll want to settle down. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Congratulations to Nathan Wozni, who picked up the Winnipeg Jets tickets. Ottawa Senators in town December 20th. What was the question you asked, Mr. Mackling? Which beloved NHL Jets 1.0 and Fursler played 598 games in the National Hockey League, including four with his hometown Senators. The answer is Jim Kite who uh, joins us from time to time here on the start. And you stumped him. Sounds like it took 15 callers before we got the answer. Well, you can't just give these things away at, you know, just, you got to have some knowledge here. We got, you got to earn them. So we have uh, also our gift of sleep grand prize winner, $500 gift card from Sleep Country Canada. We're going to announce that just after 8.50. For now, it has been a busy week for anyone in the snow removal business. Um <laughs> Really, a busy month. It's been, it's been kind of driving me nuts. Actually, it's just constant. You know, beep beep beep. <laughs> As I hear them grinding across my parkade outside my apartment, doesn't matter what time of day, Loren. Well, here's the thing: you want them there. You yep. want to hear that noise. But then, when it's day after day, you're like, "All right, that's enough snow. Thank you very much." And we're only at what December sixteenth. We're yeah. barely halfway through the month, so we've already had several snowfalls this year. Uh, we know last spring the snow at times felt relentless, and so we wanted to. Check in with some of our snow removal companies. Graham Drager is with Terrace Snow Removal. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. How would you describe the season so far in terms of the demand for your team's services? Uh, since last year, demand has been insane, to put it lightly. So, what's driving that, Graham? People just uh, done shoveling their driveways, clearing their drive, you know, clearing them on their own. And what what do you owe the uh, uptick to? I, I mean, yeah, consistent snowfall starting probably from last January. People were sick of it already, and it's carried over till this season. So it's more of the same. So the people that are coming to you, are, describe a bit of your client base. Are we talking, you know, shops that might have parking lots that need to be cleared, or are there those individuals that are saying, like, I would normally do this for myself, but I'm done? Is it a bit of both, Graham? It's, I mean, with commercial customers, it's, there's always going to be a demand because I mean, they have to either have a clean property for their patrons or their, for their place of business. Right. But for homeowners, um, yeah, a lot of it is they're just done or they need a help um, or ailments. There's, you know, a lot of different factors. Everyone kind of has a different circumstance, but they all have the same need. What, what are the challenges in a week like we've had, you know, the heavy snow, melting, ice, snow again, wind today. Like, how does that impact snow removal operations? Um, I'd, I'd say the biggest factor, honestly, is staffing. Uh, right now, there's a huge outcry for staff. I think it's uh, a lot of trades, um, but specifically for us, the snow removal, uh, just getting uh, qualified candidates to, to give us a helping hand, we're we're uh, always looking, and right now, I mean, we have a waiting list. We've had a waiting list for a couple months already. So, a waiting so, list uh, for for customers. You can't service all the people that like would like to have your service. That's obviously an enviable position to be in as a business owner. However, that means you're leaving uh, revenue on the table. Uh, 
that, and I mean, there's people that um, we're not the only ones who can't take on more customers. It's kind of across the board. And for those who really need the service, I mean, they're having a hard time, uh, especially, you know, seniors having a hard time finding people to provide the service, right, where they can't do it themselves. Yeah, it's a challenging year. And even if you look at this week, you had heavy snow, then some of it melted, then we had more snow, and then some of it melted again. And now we have this freeze and some wind going on. So even conditions themselves, like on a week like this, Graham, what sort of challenges does that might present? Because in a normal week, you might maybe only visit that parking lot or home, say, once. But we've had a nonstop kind of activity out there. It, yeah, part of it is just educating the client on letting them know when we're coming and uh, kind of preparing them before and during the storm. And then, you know, fatigue does set in uh, when you're when you're going day after day and running long hours, um, you know, that's, but that's all part and parcel. Graham Drager with Tara Snow joining us live on 680 CJOB Tara Snow Removal. Thank you very much for the time, Graham. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, guys. And indeed, uh, you know, you, as Ren pointed out, you do want them there. It's one of those sort of double-edged swords where it's like, okay, uh, it's, it's one in the morning trying to sleep, and you hear them outside, whether it's clearing a parking lot or clearing the street. And that flashing blue light, does it reflect in your window depending on where you're at? Like I noticed that in, in my house, you know they're out there. You might not hear it, but you'll see these weird reflections coming off the window. And yeah, it, you don't, you don't like it, but you want them there. That is a tough job. Ugh. That is a tough job. And could you imagine that just this week alone? Like we've we've done the driveway, I think, four times in four days, and it should be it should, needs another go today. It just every day, and that's just this little swath of pavement, right? And and now, I don't. I'm sure there are people who are done already, and it's December sixteenth. Yeah, as Graham mentioned, the part of the the biggest challenge is educate, educating and. And being on the same page, pages as your client with regard to the expectation of when you'll be there and what constitutes a visit and, and what constitutes a finished job. And maybe I'm coming by just to do a quick pass so that you can get out of your garage, sure. but I'm going to be back later. Yeah, that's uh, I can remember 12, 13, 14, 16 hour days clearing snow once <laughs> upon a time in the middle of the night. Not a, not a lot of fun. Last year, I remember here at the, I don't know, it was like March or April and I got to that point. I was like, that's it. We're not doing it anymore. And I drove around our neighborhood listening for that beep, beep, beep. <laughs> until I had my window down. I was like a dog with my head out the window. Ooh, I hear a plow. And I went up to this guy. I was like, please come by my house. Please. <laughs> did he? Yep. Yeah, he was <laughs> great. Right, but but he right. did show up and he's like, I don't even know where I'm going to put this snow. And I was like, I don't care. Please. Like, whatever this costs, I am so done with this. Like. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up after Global News at 9 o'clock, we have some clay ham. Clay Young in for Gabrielle Marchand. We usually have a Friday gab with Gabby. Clay's going to come in one more time and hopefully not talk about spaghetti or getting angry about uh, them screwing up his order at the drive-thru. Did he talk about that last week? No, I think like 19... No, sorry. I think he skipped a week. I think we got a pause on that last week. No, last week we were. it was a little bit more subdued That's conversation. Right. We were yeah. talking about journalism and the difference between radio and TV and connecting with viewers versus listeners and, and mistakes that you can make on radio that you can't make on TV, etc. It was uh, actually uh, quite insightful conversation with Clay Young last Friday. We also have Shania Twain tickets to give away at 9.15. We're asking you to tell us about your 
early driving experiences. So we'll share some more of those. We've got some great stories. We've got to get a couple of those in in our next segment. And we also have the $500 gift card to give away for Sleep Country Canada in our next segment. It could be you. And by the way, the special weather statement uh, looks like it has ended for Southern Manitoba. Just got a notification from Environment Canada. Come on. on. So, yay, some good news. It is being widely reported that Twitter on Thursday suspended the accounts of journalists who covered the social media platform and its new owner, Elon Musk, including reporters working for the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and other publications. So neither... The company, Twitter, nor Musk, gave any explanation for why it took down the accounts and made the profiles and past tweets disappear of these journalists. But the sudden suspension of news reporters does follow his decision earlier this week to permanently ban an account that automatically was tracking the flights of his private jet. And what's interesting about that is this is actually publicly public available data. So it's not like someone was invading Musk's privacy on the data front, but he didn't like the fact that his flights were being posted and then on Wednesday, Twitter also changed its rules to prohibit the sharing of another person's current location without their content. Yeah, so several of the reports uh, suspend, or reporters suspended Thursday night had been writing about that new policy and Musk's rationale for imposing it, which involved his allegations about a stalking incident that affected his family on Tuesday night in Los Angeles. Dr. Amy Morrison is an associate professor in English at the University of Waterloo, where she specializes in digital media. Amy, good morning. Always great to speak with you. Good morning. So not sharing the location of other people without their consent seems like a good thing to me. Sure, sure it does, uh, except these accounts were not actually sharing anybody's location without consent. They are tracking airplanes, right? <laughs> these are, um, I mean, I could track an airplane right now. There's an app on my phone that can tell me which airplanes are flying above my head. And for commercial flights, obviously being able to track that flight does not give you an indication of who is on it. Um, and what these, uh, what this one account had been doing, and it does this for other public figures as well, is track um, where the jets that are registered to these people are traveling, right? So we have no indication um, that those people are on that, that flight. So Musk here has made a connection um, between what he is describing as a stalking incident, which the Los Angeles police um, have not been called about, right? They have no record of a complaint or an incident being logged with them um, from a car somewhere in the city, right, which has really very little to do with the location of his plane um, in one flight path or another flight path. Um, so what I think the takeaway from this particular incident is, is that you will get banned from Twitter depending on Elon Musk's whim and that's pretty much it. And the justification comes afterwards. And that's been one of the concerns all along in terms of what sort of personal interference might you see here as an owner. And, you know, every time we do discuss social media, we often say, Amy, that we get not everybody uses any form of social media or they perhaps have and they've gotten off a few of those apps because platforms have been bugging them. And since Elon Musk took over Twitter, this is just the latest in a string of changes. What are the ones that we should be conscious of or maybe even questioning, Amy, whether we're a user or non-user, because at the end of the day, it's about the proliferation of information and sometimes the wrong information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Twitter has long had, and this predates Elon Musk, um, difficulty in managing um, harassing and dangerous behavior, right? So incidents of, of doxing and 
and swatting and dogpiling where, you know, personal details about individual people um, have been shared to their detriment. This is usually done um, by smaller accounts or sometimes by famous people um, doing this to to others um, and then getting banned. But what's um, what's interesting about this particular case is that there's been actually real reporting done on the use of private jets. Uh, you know, a few months ago, um, the the sort of carbon footprint of rich individuals flying around in private jets was being reported by journalists, right? The same kinds of journalists whose accounts have been been banned here, right? So what they are pursuing here is reporting, right? It's not sort of individual free speech mouth shooting off, which... Uh, Musk seems to have allowed a lot of people to come back, right? He offered this amnesty to people who had been had their accounts suspended for being racist or homophobic or engaging in, in hate speech or conspiracy mongering. He just declared that all of those accounts will be restored and everyone gets to start over. But here we have prominent journalists from CNN and the Washington Post, political commentators um, like uh, Oberman and also technology reporters for, for major online news sources um, have had their accounts suspended uh, for a new rule violation that actually does not seem to have broken any journalistic um, ethical practices around what can and cannot be Report it, right? So that is really something to worry about is that um, these were professional journalists mostly um, working for a news organizations, simply reporting on the ban of the 20 year old college student who wrote a bot that tracks rich people planes flying through the sky, right? So for simply reporting on the ban of that user, they themselves were also banned. So this is kind of rising now to the level of the censorship or suppression of news media. And that's an escalation, I think. And, and so again, just to, to reconfirm, this this uh, is a new rule? This, yeah. The... yeah, a new rule um, about sharing people's location in, in real time, right? So if I was to tweet right now, talking with the crew from Winnipeg, and I tagged you in it, if I haven't secured your explicit consent to say that you are in Winnipeg, then you could report me and have my account suspended, right? So let's say I'm in public and I'm taking a picture of myself at Starbucks, which I do sometimes when the line is really long, and I post that. Um, And if someone is in that photo um, who hasn't given me their explicit consent to share their location, which is at a Starbucks in Waterloo, Ontario, they can also report me um, and have me taken down. Lots of people share one another's real-time locations just in the course of composing tweets, right? I'm in my such-and-such class sitting next to so-and-so right, Um, which we have tended to think is fairly innocuous um, information. And surely this rule is only going to be applied quite selectively. And that's another part of the problem, is that there doesn't seem to be a process um, or a group of people at Twitter who have the responsibility for enforcing these rules. Because, of course, Musk has gutted those safety and trust teams as well. So is is that the rub here? Because I'm trying to look at both sides of this, Amy. At Twitter, they're a private company. They have a right to change its terms of use as it seem, sees fit. But because of who they are and the role that they play as a news aggregator, as a communications tool, should there be any limitations on their ability to make those changes? Right. So uh, this is a little bit about ownership rules, right, about public companies going private and private companies going public and how much of our sort of communication infrastructure is completely privatized now, right? You know, when's the last time you picked up the phone to 
telephone somebody, I mean, not at work, because obviously that's what you do, right? We tend to share information through these social media sites, all of them, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and Mastodon and Twitter and Facebook, and there's no public accountability for it, right? We rely on these tools as a culture now for things, as you say, like dating and news aggregating and information sharing and sort of, you know, disaster preparedness, all of these things, uh, and there is no guardrail around that protecting the public, right, um, from massive, vast, and uh, immediate changes to the terms of service of these sites that we all just sort of rely on them continuing to operate in the way that we have grown accustomed to them operating in which have become very useful and part of our daily lives for us, right? Um, but we really don't have any control over that. It's a private space. They could turn it off tomorrow, and that would be fine. It would put millions of people's daily lives into disarray, um, disrupt some really important communications and broadcast functions, but there's nothing illegal about that at all, and that's a, a bigger public discussion to have, I think, about how much we rely on these tools um, and how much they are just simply controlled by private interests or by shareholder concerns. Amy Morrison, Associate Professor in English at the University of Waterloo, specializing in digital media. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Clay, Clay, Clay. <laughs> what is this? Clay, Clay, Clay. Someone sounds like Tyson. <laughs> it's a real song. Yes. Honestly, this feel I feel like Tyson is in the booth right now with like a grand piano. <laughs> and a tux on. No, you know what that's from? That Kevin Bergen. He's behind this. Every time he asks me to come on the weekend show now, he, he plays that or he plays the alternative, which is Clayton, Clayton, Clayton. And he knows I hate the name Clayton, but he plays it anyway. There you go. <laughs> anyway, hi, how are you? How are you, Clayton? Oh, uh, uh, now you've just given you me fuel, fuel. Why don't you tell people what you did to me yesterday? I don't know why this upsets you so much. Yesterday, Brett, around 5.59, there was a good 45 seconds to spare. I went and sat with Clay in studio on the TV side and just stared at him awkwardly. <laughs> he was like, so what are you I doing am, here? There I am. I'm looking over my copy, and, and Lorraine just barges right into the studio. What she, time was this? Sorry. Just before. 559. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> my, my director said, okay, everybody, let's just go through everything. And all of a sudden, the door, it's like flies open, and Lorraine just comes marching. I go, what? What are you doing? And she just comes right onto the set, plops herself right down in the chair next to me, and just stares. Gives me the stare. At 559? Yeah. It was close. It was close. I just wanted to say hi, have a good show. And then I thought, you know what? I haven't been in this studio in a long time. And then I thought I haven't sat down in a long time. And then I sat down. You know, for as much as he makes of this story, Brad, he then... Found enough time to say to weather specialist Drew, take a picture of this. <laughs> so I don't think he was that stressed. Well, no, Drew's kind of looking around while you're marching through the... It's like, what's what's going on here? So I wanted to be part of the show. 
<laughs> oh, I loved it. I'm just kidding. I loved it. <laughs> well, we always talk about Clay being the source of mayhem, but perhaps <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the queen What have of I mayhem. said to you? I feel like I might be the female version of Clay. I don't know. I, I just went back looking over at the camera trying to ignore you, but I kept looking back. You're just giving me this stare, <laughs> this cold stare. Look over here, Clay. Just look over here. <laughs> so our question of the day at CJOB... Oh, by the way, Greg had to step out. He's on assignment. Uh, but our question of the day for Mr. Furnace, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. What's your favorite way to shop retail? Big box stores, malls, standalone small stores, or online? So, Clayman, how about mm-hmm. we pose that question to you? What's your favorite way to shop retail? I like to go to the store. Yeah. I really do. I, I like, uh, you know, walking in, you hear the, the crowd, and you hear the music, and the hustle and bustle. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one to stay here long. I'm a man on a mission. I know what I want. I find it. It's like toot, 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 toot. Radar zoomed in on the store. <laughs> I go straight to the item, get it, pay for it. Bye-bye. So long, and take care. I just get in, and I get out. That's fair. What if you don't know what you're looking for, though? Like, do you only go shopping if you know exactly what you want? Uh, I usually have a pretty good idea. And if I'm not sure, then I will shop online. I'll just kind of cruise various websites. But usually, I pretty much 99% I'm going to get this, this, this. I'm just like, bing, boom, bang, bye. Yeah. I think I saw a survey once. Where it said that men like to get in and get out. And And women like to stay there until the cows come home. Uh, Loren, would you agree? I can't. There's so, there's so much innuendo here that I just... <laughs> oh, no. oh no. Well, you know what I mean. I mean. I do know what you mean, but I don't know if we mean what we mean on the same thing we're meaning to talk about. So I just want to leave it. I, I, I don't... This year, because I started late, I did a quick day Monday where I went in and out and got a bunch of things really quickly, and I had a general sense... And then I was done. And then there are other days I can spend hours in the mall walking around. But but by and large, I am I do want it to be over with quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Like a band-aid. You rip it off and then you get out. I don't know. Maybe there are people that like to go in there with the malls and the stores just packed and, and they have no problem with it. Um, and, you know, I don't care what anyone says. I've started carrying my mask again. You yeah. know? Yeah. I, it's, it's not so much the COVID that I'm worried about. It's just like this flu is just going everywhere now. Yeah, that's where I see the most masks is anytime I go shopping, whether it's a mall or whether it's grocery stores. Uh, so you can weigh in on our question of the day at cjob.com. Also, last chance to get in on the Shania Twain tickets. We're asking you about your early driving experiences like Sherry, who says it was a cold, snowy night. And my mom and I were Christmas shopping. And I asked her if I could drive home for the first time. I'd been taking driver's ed, so she thought, sure, why not? I was nervous. I asked to drive around the parking lot first and then headed home to Henderson Highway from Garden City Shopping Center. All was going well, although I was driving a little slow until I got distracted, took a turn too fast, and my mom had to grab the wheel to prevent a crash. So I pulled over, my heart's racing, my mom shouts, what are they teaching you in driver's ed? And I said, oh, we haven't been in the car yet, so this is my first time ever driving. (laughs) Needless to say, she drove us the rest of the way home in silence. We laugh about it now. She pulled a fast one. But uh, Clayman, just very quickly here... um, any, any early driving experiences jump to mind for you? 
Yeah, my uh, my my stepdad, when I was uh, about 15, he he took me out uh, as I endeavored to get my first ever license. And uh, it was during, it was like around this time of the year, snowing, blowing, and we practiced parallel parking in a snowstorm. And I just couldn't seem to, the tires were spinning. And I said, well, this is ridiculous. They're not going to make me do this. Oh, yes, they are. And so we practiced and practiced. And so when it came time to take my actual test, it was during a snowstorm again. Oh. See? Yeah. And I aced it. Attaboy, Clay. And I, I said to him after, I said, you were right. He said, well, you, yeah, they're, they're going to test you in all kinds of conditions. They're not just going to hand it out to anybody, you know. Clay Young, he's been filling in for Gabby on Global News Morning, weekdays 6 to 9 on Global Winnipeg. Gabby's back next week. But, Clay, it's been a pleasure having you on our show for the last few weeks, bud. Thank you. Weird. And I, I appreciate Loren, what she did. Yesterday. Okay, we gotta go. Bye, okay, Clay. Bye. Can you hear bye. the music, Clay? Like you can hear the music. Right? We're bye. giving away Shania Twain tickets next on the start. <laughs> Brought to you by Ron Paul Garden Center with lots of Christmas trees still in stock to help celebrate the Ron Paul holidays at Ron Paul Garden Center, 2641 St. Mary Road. We still have periods of blowing snow throughout the morning. Two centimeters expected. It's the winds that could make a difference here. North wind, 40 to 60 clicks, and the temperature is going to continue to fall to minus 10 this afternoon. Wind chill this morning, minus 11, minus 21 late this afternoon. Two to four centimeters tomorrow of snow, low of minus 12. Tomorrow, We'll also see periods of... That was... Yeah, I'm just reading the wrong weather here. Tonight, snow. Tomorrow, snow. Sunday, no snow. Cloudy. <laughs> High of minus 13. <laughs> uh. Uh, Friday. Did you get the sponsor as well? I did it already. And it's currently something at 680 CJOB. <laughs> minus 6 feels like go. minus that, 12 that outside 680 CJOB. Minus 6 feels like minus 12. That's my fail. That was a big fail. <laughs> just a giant fail. <laughs> Friend, do you want to read the weather? Yep, got it. <laughs> it's Mackling uh, McGarry McNabb. Greg uh, had to step away. He's on assignment as we wrap up the week. We're giving away Shania Twain tickets. Canada Life Center, November 7th. We're talking about our very first driving experiences because Greg's boys, for the first time ever, got behind the wheel of an automobile this week. A couple of runners up here, like Amanda, who says, the day after I turned 16, I went for my driver's test. I had my dad's old K car, a nice, reliant automobile. I also had the flu and informed my tester of that as well. And like on a good day, and uh, depending on what 7-Eleven I go into, <laughs> maybe I'm five ah, feet. She's like using the robber strip at 7-Eleven <laughs> to assess her height. <laughs> my instructor was seven <laughs> feet easy. And uh, of course, the car's front seat is a bench seat that I had to pull all the way up just to reach the pedals while the tester's legs basically ended up in the back seat. He said nuts to this and asked me to exit the parking lot, turn right, then turn right again, go back in the parking lot and park the car, and I passed. <laughs> you didn't have time for it. I wish I had had that guy. My guy no did kidding. not appreciate me. Okay, Marilyn says, before I took driver's ed, before I turned 16... We were out in the country visiting relatives. My dad said he'd take me for a drive if I wanted to practice. We had a 58 Chevy wagon. Mom came as well in the backseat to watch as she was not a driver herself. I got the hang of the stick shift right away and we were cruising along pretty good on the gravel road. Then dad told me to turn right at the next corner, so I did. 
but he didn't tell me I had to slow down first. Oh, boy. We ended up sideways in the ditch. Mom's sitting on her door. Dad almost sitting on me because, of course, no seatbelts back then. We got it okay, and very calmly, Dad told me to go across the field to get Uncle John to bring the tractor to pull us out. I ran through that canola field crying all the way, told Uncle Jay, who sat down and poured himself a cup of coffee to enjoy before we went. I remember him winking at me. That was my first driving experience, and I now have my own driving school. That's cool, Marilyn. It's always a difficult choice. Yes, that was tough. Picking a winner uh, because we got so many great stories today, and thank you for sharing them, and we're sorry that we just don't have time to reply to all of them. But Patrick is our winner. Patrick says our family car was a 67 Chrysler Saratoga. I never, I've never seen one of these before, uh, or at least I didn't know. Uh, look it up. It's a cool car. It's got a push-button transmission on the left panel by the steering wheel, says Patrick. This machine was a monster with a V8 that rumbled when you fired it up. So we were living in Charleswood, and I had just gotten my driver's license. My dad was working in the front yard and had asked me to back the car out to the road. My buddy, who was over at the time, asked if he could back out the car. I had assumed he had a driver's license and agreed. I know now why the Saratoga had wings slash fins at the rear, because I could have sworn that car flew. Our driveway was full of mature trees on a half acre, and my friend must have hit almost all of them. It was like watching a pinball machine. I've never seen all the colors of the rainbow until I looked over at my dad's face, the last being a furious, glowing red. (laughs) You know, like that guy who blows fire out of his head in that uh, Inside Out movie on Disney? Oh, yeah. um, that car would still be heading north if it wasn't <laughs> for the infamous Charleswood ditches. The Saratoga ended up with its hood pointed towards the sun, the rear tires still whining. My father didn't say a word as his face said it all. Needless to say, that was the end of my driving for a while and a budding friendship. Happy motoring. That is a quite the car. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful car. I'd be, I, I can understand why his dad was so mad. That hood is like the size of my bed. <laughs> I know, car. They used to make cars so big. Patrick, congratulations. You're going to Shania Twain.